0: But uh, let's get started today. I I couldn't be more thrilled to talk about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. This is what separates who we are. Is the resurrection? Uh, If if we had the cross only, and we're going to get into what would happen in a moment if we had the cross only, from a theological standpoint, but from a day to day standpoint, uh, we wouldn't have trouble believing. I mean, the reality is a, a lot of. A lot of what is difficult about resurrection and why the church, in some respects and circles and contexts, like Pastor said, has been hesitant to celebrate the resurrection is because it's the most unbelievable part of our faith. It's easy to believe you'd kill a good man. We look around the world right now and they'll kill a good man. It's easy to believe that somebody would try to make the world a better place and it would be rejected. That's happening all the time. It's believable that there's a set of principles that are bigger and better than the morality of the world. That's Jesus. That's believable. In fact, we would follow that. But a man comes out of the grave? That's unbelievable, because we haven't seen that happen. So what, what? the most unbelievable and amazing thing about what it means to follow Jesus is not following a guy 2,000 years ago, not just following his principles or what he said, or not even just following him into the way of sacrificial death. By the way, if that's all we had in the faith, it would be quite a faith, but it's following a man who come out of the grave and believing that you are living in a world of a resurrected man and that the world is literally a different place today than it would have been had Jesus not raised from the dead. I don't know if I can convince you of that today. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to show you that I think the world is a place that it, you couldn't imagine without the resurrection of Jesus. We couldn't imagine that world because of what God literally accomplished in the resurrection. And so I want to take you on a little journey this morning through the scriptures. Uh, we could pick any spot in any of the Gospels. We could take Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John's account because the Gospel writers don't all tell the same stories, but they all tell about the resurrection because how can you leave that out? And so I want to choose Mark's version of the story today. If you go to Mark chapter 16, what I want to do is read to you about the resurrection. Just eight verses. I know there's a lot of text we can read in regards to the resurrection. I'm going to assume that you have the working knowledge that Jesus died on a cross, was placed into a borrowed tomb, and on resurrection morning, the day after Sabbath, the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out of the grave. Now, I'm not here today to, to prove that in the natural. I'm not up here going to present a slideshow of apologetics of why we don't think Jesus' bones are in that grave because of His physical resurrection. I can't convince you that Jesus resurrected from the dead. I'm going to try to show you why I think it's important, but the basis of why you follow Jesus is you truly believe He's a living Savior, not a dead Savior. And so if you're a follower of Christ, we're going to work today with the baseline understanding that we believe Christ raised from the dead, what does that mean? What does that look like for me? And what does it mean for the planet? So let's read the story from Mark 16:1, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us. You notice the sunrise is a central figure. It's almost the next character the sun is in the story of the resurrection. Don't forget that. Uh, The sunrise is a character in this play. Not just the women, not just the angel, not just the resurrected Jesus, but the sunrise. And the Gospels all bring this up about the sunrise because we had the death and the darkness of Calvary We had the dark day of Saturday of depression and discouragement and losing our love. And then we have the sunrise. And that's because the resurrection is supposed to represent for all of us the hope that the sun rises. That no matter how dark things get, how bad things get in our lives, that God raises the sun. The S O N. Jesus, and the S-U-N, the light in our life, and they become the same thing. In fact, the Bible says in the Old Testament that the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And the word son there is S-U-N, and it calls him a hymn. The sun is not a hymn, it's an it. But when Jesus is the sun, it becomes a hymn. So the sunrise out of the grave is the sunrise in your heart because every darkness in your life holds the possibility of a sunrise in your life. And that's why the gospel works in the midst of darkness and hell. And when life isn't going well for us, the gospel works because it says, yes, it's bad. Yes, things are not going your way, but the sun also rises and His name is Jesus. How we, If we're not preaching that in the church, what in the world are we doing? I mean, honestly, if we're not giving people the hope of a resurrection, what are we wasting time coming in here for? Because some of you brought some stuff with you today. You brought some darkness and some depression and some discouragement and some stress and dare I say it, some sin. That's okay. Welcome home. That's what the church is full of. People who have darkness and depression and discouragement and sin. That's the darkness that happens at Calvary. But the sun comes up and His name is Jesus. And there's hope for our todays and there's hope for our tomorrows. And even when there's questions and concerns and stresses at the resurrection, because watch this, who's going to roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? I don't know what in the world's going on. How are we going to fix this problem? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. And underline these words, the three most important words in the Christian faith. He is risen. They properly put an exclamation point here as well. You can't proclaim anything more important then he is risen. We've said the three most important words in the English language are I love you, maybe. But I think they take a back seat to he is risen. And notice you don't roll the stone away. God rolls the stone away because resurrection isn't your job. Resurrection is his job transformation isn't up to you transformation is up to him don't be alarmed you seek Jesus he was crucified he's risen he is not here see the place where they laid him but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee there you will see him as he said to you and I love it that the angel didn't want to leave Peter out because Peter probably don't feel like much of a disciple because he denied the Lord Jesus but the angel says go get Peter as well because everybody qualifies for resurrection by the way Nobody gets left out of the resurrection party. No one gets left out of the resurrection. I'm going to repeat this because this is going to come back. I'm giving you the end of the movie in the opening credits. Are you ready? No one gets left out of the resurrection. Got a couple amens. I'm going to try to win the rest of you over. He's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. Now watch this amazing display of faith because they trembled and were amazed and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So don't worry if you don't have all the stuff lined up today and you don't really believe this. They didn't either. They were scared. They were afraid. They couldn't believe what they just saw. They couldn't believe what they just heard. So if you don't have all your faith lined up, all your ducks in a row, all your I's dotted, your T's crossed with all your theological principles and points today, you're in good company. You belong at an empty tomb. So I don't have it all figured out today. You don't have to have it all figured out today. You aren't disqualified. I spent a lot of time thinking if you didn't have your theology right, God wasn't gonna bless you. You didn't have your, your P's and Q's. If you didn't have your scriptures memorized, God wasn't going to anoint you. If that were the case, no one would have got it because the people that encountered resurrection couldn't believe what they saw. And it's okay if your first encounter with God is he can't be that loving, he can't be that good, he can't be that forgiving, it can't be that inclusive. That's okay. You're in good company. Just keep watching. You'll realize that the tomb is empty and good things are going to happen. And so Christ is risen, he is risen, that's where we start. I want to really give you three little points today that kind of help propel this word along. I've also found that little points kind of keep people engaged because then they're like, oh, well, if we're already on number two, oh, then maybe it won't be so bad. I also like to fly through number one so I can trick you into thinking that they're all going to be that short. By the way, number one is finished. Number one is Christ is risen. All right, you're already done with the first point. We brought him out of the tomb. Actually, we just watched the angel roll the stone away from the door. Christ is a risen Savior. I want to talk about Christ is risen. I want to talk about Christ as the resurrection, because when we talk about resurrection, we often think of it as an event. But I want you to start to think of it as an event in the past, an event in your present, an event in your future, Because Christ is not just resurrected, Christ is the resurrection. Whatever resurrection is going to happen in you is going to happen because of the resurrected one. And we'll conclude today with Christ brings restoration or restitution. Christ is the one who is going to resolve this whole thing. Whatever's going on in the world is going to be laid at the feet of the one who has earned the right to resolve this whole thing. So go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. When we talk about resurrection, this is usually where we land in the new Testament because Paul gives one of the most brilliant, the deepest recitations on resurrection in the 15th chapter of first Corinthians. Honestly, we could do week after week after week on 1 Corinthians 15, and we would still only scratch the surface on what Paul might've been trying to say about resurrection. One of the first things I want you to notice is from the 17th verse where Paul says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So you want to know how important the resurrection is? You are not sin free in the eyes of God without a resurrection. And let me give you a real theological reason for that. Because the resurrection is God's seal of approval on the cross. It is God looking at what Christ has done and saying... It is worth recreating a man on the earth that has paid this price. Christ having sacrificed for us and shows us the love of God. God raises him from the dead. And if all I had was the cross, all I see is that sin will kill you. And if you've sinned, you didn't need to watch the cross to figure out that sin will kill you. You just need to sin a little bit. You want to mess stuff up? Sin a little bit. You want to have hell follow you? Sin a little bit. You can see that sin in Christ, that's great. But if you only see it hanging on the cross, then you might still hang yourself. How many of you realize that Judas Iscariot took communion, had his feet washed by Jesus and still went out and betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And when he realized what he had done, recognition of his sin, he threw the money into the floor of the temple and said, I didn't know you were going to do that. That's his moment right there where he could repent and run back to Jesus. But what does he do? He runs to a tree, puts a rope around his neck and hangs himself. Because your response to sin will be either to run to Jesus in hope that the sun will come up, Or run to the nearest tree and hang yourself on guilt, shame, and condemnation. And that's what we do with sin. We either run to the nearest tree and jump off because it is not worth living if we have to live in that. Or we run to a Jesus. And that's why Paul said, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, you're hopeless. You might as well hang yourself because all you have is a man hanging on a tree for your sins. You might as well hang with him. But because he's resurrected from the dead... That's why you don't come into church every week and we bring up all your past. And you bring up all your present. And we bring up all your future. Oh, preacher, are you saying that you think I'm going to sin in the future? Yeah, I'm not an idiot. Of course you're going to sin in the future. Don't lie to yourself. You know you've messed up. You know you probably messed up today or maybe right now or maybe right now, or maybe right now. Yes, that's what I mean. It just keeps going. And it'll probably happen again in your future. And thank God Christ has died once for all and resurrected once for all. And that's where my faith lies. And so Christ is risen, and therefore I'm not still in my sins. And then I want to read in verse 20. Listen to Paul. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those Who have fallen asleep? The Greek word there can mean dead, so we know that it does. So Christ is risen for those who have died. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Let me stop right here for a moment and talk to you for just a bit about Christ is risen. Really put the cap on this first point and then just dovetail over into Christ as the resurrection. Why is it necessary that Christ is risen? Theologically, so that I'm not still in my sins, so that I don't just see Jesus hanging there because I can associate with a man guilty. I can associate with a man who deserves to die for what he's done. I can associate with someone who's hanging in shame. But the resurrection then puts all that in my past. The resurrection means the sun rises on a new me. The resurrection is my moment where the rooster crows. And when the rooster crows, it crows because the sun is coming up. And the rooster crows means my sin is behind me. My future is in front of me. So the resurrection gives me hope. But why does God choose to do it this way? You know, we talk a lot about what God can do and what God can't do. We love those little riddles what's the only thing God can't do? God can't tell a lie. Ha 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 ha. See, tricked you. You know, that's what I try to say, you only think God can do everything. God can't do everything. God can't tell a lie. Let me tell you something else God couldn't do. God created man from the dust of the earth and he breathed into him a life-giving spirit, but God couldn't recreate man without destroying the whole planet. And he lost him almost immediately. Like he creates man, and then man sins, and man runs. Can you imagine? God, who's been here for time and eternity, decides to start a clock and put a planet into existence and pull men out of the dust and recreate himself on the earth. What a moment. God fashions a man out of clay and breathes heaven's breath into his lungs. God steps back, and according to the book of Genesis says, very good look at this guy. And then puts him to sleep, pulls a woman out of his ribs so that now God has both representations of God's character, both male and female. Oh yes, I don't mean to shock you, but yes, God has the qualities of female. Where do you think he created female from? And so out of man, he has woman and here is male and female and They are together, very good, and God steps back with such pride, and in almost no time He loses them, and they run away from Him and hide in the bushes and cover themselves in fig leaves and run from the garden. And that's the story of the Bible that begins to unfold. And you see God frustrated and hurt, but He refuses, refuses to exist without them. So when they leave the garden, He goes with them. So God doesn't stay in the garden and go, boy, these people get out there and get it right. They can come back in. No. I'll go with them out of the garden. We'll wander together east of Eden. Wherever they fall, I'll fall with them. Wherever they go, I'll go with them. I want to start over. And God then does something spectacular in Genesis 6, where he comes along and says, man, has gotten so bad. It is so rotten on the earth that we're going to start over with the best guy I can find. And the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God goes and takes Noah, the most righteous man he can find on the planet. And he goes, Hey, build a boat, put your family in it. We're going to wipe everybody else out and we're going to start over. God's showing us a recreation process, but I want you to notice this. The recreation process God uses picks the best it can find and destroys the rest of the world by violence. And then when Noah gets off the boat, God says, now go out and recreate on the earth. My question to you is, did it work? It didn't fix the world, did it? No. And I don't think it's because God was just trying something and then they get off the boat and God goes, ah, shucks. I thought that would work. That didn't work. No. (laughs) Don't let God lose His nature. God does the Noah experiment, not for God, but for us. So that we will see that no matter how righteous you are, You cannot recreate the world in your image. And violence to destroy the evil of the world doesn't work. So if violence doesn't work to destroy the evil of the world, and no matter how good we are, we can't recreate the earth, God is left with a conundrum. How do we solve the problem of the earth? And how do we fix the problem of man? And so God becomes man, puts on the suit of humanity... Becomes fully man and fully God. And at Calvary, he reverses the Noah story. What I mean by that is, at at Noah's story, we take the best man we can find and we elevate him. And we wipe everybody else out by violence. But at Calvary, God becomes the best man you can find. And rather than wiping the earth out by violence, he takes the violence of the earth and puts it into himself. See that? And he starts doing that from the moment he walks the earth. He can't just wait till he dies to do it. He has to do it every day. If your if your neighbor strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other one. Take the violence in and don't reciprocate with the violence that destroyed Noah the world of Noah's day. Take it in. Take it in. Take it in. It's why right before the verse we read Paul said, "If our hope be in Christ, Only in this earth we are of all men most miserable. What did he mean? If all we have is the Jesus that was alive, we're miserable because the life of Christianity is supposed to be a life of taking the violence in. If there's no hope for resurrection, what's the point of taking in the violence? Shouldn't we change our tact? If there's no resurrection, don't don't let anybody run over you if there's no resurrection run over people if they hit you hit them back why not because it's the best we can do and yet here's Jesus taking all the violence into himself and so at Calvary he says now is the judgment of this world now is the prince of this world or is the son of man lifted up and if i be lifted up i will draw all unto me and christ takes all of the violence into himself to release the human family so that god and here's my point so that god can do what he couldn't do. What could God not do? God couldn't resurrect the dead unless we died. The only way to bring a resurrected man on the earth is to deal with the dead man on the earth so God becomes the dead man on the earth. And he dies at the hands of violence so that he himself can roll the stone away and recreate himself on the earth. So what Christ comes out of the tomb as is not just a guy who resurrected Christ comes out of the tomb as Adam 2.0. God tried with the first man and the man failed. So God tries with the second, what Paul calls the last Adam, and he succeeds. Because in a world where the first Adam only knows how to survive by being good and killing the world around him, the last Adam survives by being the son of God who takes in the violence of the world around him and then resurrects on the earth as a new man. So Christ is not only risen, Christ then becomes the resurrection. He becomes the symbol of the new man on the earth. He becomes the Adam that failed in the garden that succeeds in the next garden. And then God goes about the process he's been on for 2,000 years And that is restoring the world we lost into the world that is to come and doing it through a resurrected man. And so God hasn't changed his tactics and decided to become a violent God when he showed us in Genesis 6 violence won't work to save the family of man. God doesn't decide, and this is somehow sometimes what we do in Christianity is we think that Jesus is super passive and very loving and very forgiving, and but he's only gonna put up with this for so long because the day is gonna come when God's gonna get really mad at the world and he's gonna come back in vengeance and kill everybody with bombs, missiles, nuclear warheads, and a sword in his hand, and the blood's gonna run to the horse's bridle, and it's gonna be the blood that God shed. And what we forget is that the book of Revelation is not a story about how God slaughters the earth, but a story about how the earth slaughtered God and how Jesus then wins by becoming a new man on the earth. The blood to the horse's bridle is not merely indicative of people that die. It's the indicative of the blood that Christ shed for us at Calvary. That no matter what we do, we cannot wade through the violence that we have done to God. And the response of God is not to come and destroy, but to come and save by resurrecting Himself on the earth. God doesn't change His tactic at the end day and decide now He's going to get violent and start to do things man's way. He's already taken the violence in so that He can resurrect on the earth. What are we celebrating today? If not, there's a new man on the earth and his name is Jesus. So if Christ is risen, Christ is also then the resurrection. What does the resurrection look like? Reread that with me in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at this 22nd verse. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And I would say this, if you, have, if you have doomed the family of man, and a lot of us have, a lot of us preachers have, we've doomed the earth to hell. We love saying little stuff like the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know why they're in a handbasket. I don't know how they fit in that cosmic handbasket. I don't know why that's the only way for them to get to hell, but we love to say stuff like that. The world's getting worse every day. I'll tell you what, hell's taking over. Men are sinning like they've never sinned before. We love that. We get all excited when we can preach things like that. The degree to which we've been excited over that, when we finally become convinced of a resurrected Jesus, we ought to have an equal fervor at declaring an optimism for a resurrected world. And what I mean by that is God give us ministers who are as excited to declare victory and resurrection as they've been to declare hell and sin. They get all pumped up because people are failing and maybe give us someone excited about the fact that the stone's been rolled away from the door, Christ is alive, and there's hope for the world if Christ is alive. Now, if you believe the Bible, then you've got to at least wrestle with this. Are you ready? Christ resurrected as the first fruits which means Christ resurrected, but he wasn't the last resurrection. The resurrection continues. Paul in Romans 6 said, As many of us as have been baptized into his death have been raised into his life. And he said, therefore, we shall walk in a newness of life. So Paul proclaims the resurrection to be attainable beginning in this life. Not merely when I die, oh, fingers crossed, believing in a resurrection. Someday I'm going to live again. But rather that when I met the resurrected Christ, the resurrection began to happen in me. It didn't stop happening in me. It started happening in me. And the resurrection that's happening in me is still happening in me. It's why I'm realizing I'm not who I used to be and who I thought I was. And I'm coming into a sunrise on new ideas about myself. I'm starting to realize maybe I'm forgiven. I'm starting to realize maybe I'm righteous. I'm starting to realize maybe I'm the daughter of God or the son of God. I'm not saying I'm another Jesus, but I belong in His bloodline. I'm starting to realize that if he was the first resurrection, I'm part of the next resurrection, and I'm not only part of the future resurrection, it's something I can have now. Otherwise, you're still in your sins. You're of all men most miserable. So we're going to take Paul at his word, take him as someone who understands what he's talking about in regards to resurrection. Maybe we should have equal excitement about the idea that the resurrection belongs to Christ, and if the resurrection belongs to Christ... And then in Adam all died, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Look at that again. What a verse. 22. As in Adam everyone dies, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Let me just live right there for a second, shall we? Are you convinced that because of Adam's sin, everybody dies? That's right. Are you equally convinced that because of Christ's resurrection, everybody lives? I am now. I am now too, brother, because I've spent a long time arguing over who gets to live. Fighting over who gets to live. Worried about how far that preacher is going to take that thing with who gets to live. But let's just live right here with Paul for a moment. If in Adam everybody died, then in Christ everybody is made alive. What's it look like to be in Christ and be made alive? Here's what we know. Christ is the resurrection and the first fruits of all subsequent resurrection. I don't care what you think resurrection looks like right now. For you, that might only be bodies coming out of the ground. Okay, fine. For me, it's a lot more. I think I got at least Romans 6 on my side that Paul thought it was a lot more than that as well. In fact, I think I got Jesus on my side in John 11 when he says to Martha, Martha, do you think Lazarus will live again? And she goes, oh yeah, he'll live again someday in the resurrection at the last day. We're always last day people. Even back then we were last day people. Well, at the last day, he'll live again. And Jesus goes, I am the resurrection. Did you hear that? Not, I'll be the resurrection. I am the resurrection, Martha. He goes, what are you talking about last day? Don't give me last day gospel. I am the resurrection. Because I'm the one that makes people live. You meet me, you can't die. Yes. Is that what Jesus said? Yes! He said, if a man believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. And he shall never die. Right. Which means if I meet Christ, I come out of what I'm in, which is death, and I go into what he is, which is life. Therefore, if I was dead in Adam, I must be alive in Christ. Here's the toughie. Here's the kicker. If Christ came out of the dead, how in the world does everybody resurrect at the end of Revelation? The Bible says they shall all come out of the grave. The good and the evil. Everybody comes through Christ. Listen, I don't know what God does when he sorts them out. I leave that up to him. But I know that if they come out, they didn't come out in the first Adam. They came out in the last Adam. So if everybody comes through that grave resurrected, how'd they get there? Through Jesus. There is no other way but through Jesus. Now I'm going to let him sort out what he does with them when he brings them out. But I'm here to tell you this. If you believe in Adam, they all died. You ought to be equally or more excited that in Christ, they're all made alive because Christ is our resurrection. This is why we struggle in the church with liberty and freedom and identity when we don't preach Jesus resurrected. Jesus, I've said this for a while, Jesus is becoming the hardest person to find in the American church. We can find celebrity, we can find song, we can find church growth, we can find structure, we can find money, we can find power, we can find fame. We can find principles and equipment, we can hardly find Jesus. We've been taught to be in love with everything. Love your neighbor, love your city, love your nation, love your church, love your Bible. Where's love your Jesus? Just to fall in love with this resurrected one and realize that the reason you are what you are is because you've met that resurrected one. You see, I don't know how this all goes down, but I do know that while I'm here, I want a relationship with the resurrected one. Because I don't want to walk around only identified in my first Adam, my death. I want to know and experience the resurrected man. I don't want to wait till I die to experience the resurrected man. Not once I know it's available. Like you can have all this stuff when you die or you can start having this stuff while you're alive. Which do you prefer? Well, I want to know him now because I want to experience who he is now because who he is now makes a difference in my life. And that's what I want. And so Christ is not only risen in the past. Christ is our resurrection in the present. And Christ shall be the resurrection of the future. And I want to participate in that now. And finally, Christ is the restitution or the restoration of all things. Go with me to Acts chapter 3 as we land this. I want to show you the apostle Peter. And he's preaching in Solomon's porch in the third chapter of Acts. This is the early days of the church. Very little structure. Very little set in order. Very little as as far as even the local church community. They're just meeting. Peter has not really rounded out his theology, and yet he's starting to listen to the Holy Spirit on how to minister. And Peter gives one of the more fascinating sermons in the New Testament in Acts 3. Because considering that he doesn't have a depth of theology, and he comes up with a couple of words here in the Greek that never get used again in the New Testament, by the way, that probably exemplify the gospel in both its present and its future form better than any other message. Look in verse 19 of Acts 3. Peter says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What a simple gospel presentation is, Acts 3.19. Repent is the Greek word metanoia. It means to change your mind. All right. It doesn't mean lay in the carpet and snot and cry all over yourself and make promises to God. That's how how we define repent. Have you repented? So have you had this moment? No. Repent is to change your mindset, think differently than you thought before. So if you had a bad idea about God, it's time for you to repent today. Listen up, church. I'm talking to all the believers in the house. If you have bad ideas about God, you need to repent. You need to change your mind about God. We all do. I think believers ought to be repenting constantly. Repent of your mindsets. Repent of the things you think about Him. Change your mind. Watch as He transforms you. Repent and be converted. Switch tracks. Jump over. So that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That word refreshing is never used again in the Greek in the entire New Testament. It's really a repair. Let God repair you. Let God fix you. And where does it come? From His presence. Watch 20. That He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. The word restoration is the Greek word apokatastasis. That's a toughie. Apokatastasis. Give it a try. Apokatastasis. Not bad. Not bad. (laughs) Better on your first try than mine. Apokatastasis. Why do I need to know that? Okay, never appears again, the entire New Testament. And it's a combination of two Greek thoughts. One being the Greek thought for back again, back again. The other, the Greek thought for to set in order, put them together to go back again and to set in order. It tells you that it used to be one way and we need to go back again to where it was in order because the way it is now is not in order. How many of you would look around the world and say in so many of your situations, the way it is now is not in order. The way it is now is not in order. Great. Good. Peter said, when we repent and are converted, he begins to refresh us so that God can send Jesus to apocastasis, so that God can send Jesus to set this thing back in order, that God's end game is both to set in order the world, but to start by setting your world in order. And so resurrection is not merely something in our future. Resurrection is something in our present. As we have our world set in order by Christ, the world around us becomes more set in order. And I know we have bought into the lie, and I think that's what it is. We've bought into the lie that the world is worse than it's ever been before. No. No. We're living longer. We're living healthier. We're living wealthier, we're living wiser. It doesn't mean it's across the board to everyone, but the rising tide has raised all boats. The world has never been in the, in the shape or the condition that it is in now, and yet there's still evil, and yet there are still problems. There are still, to quote something we said here a month or so ago, there are still tares among our wheat. Obviously. And yet, the resurrection of Christ is not merely an event in our future, but an event in our present. And yet, it's not merely an event in our present, it's also an event in our future. I don't want to take that away. Because the beauty of the Bible is that it tells us that God is going to restore all things. So, I don't know how the world becomes all that God wants it to become. But I know that it's in His hands and He isn't finished yet. And that I get to participate as I let him transform me. And my job is to repent and be converted. Say, well, your job should be to live better. No, my job is to repent and be converted. Living better comes out of my conversion. Living better doesn't make my conversion. Oh, I truly believe you'll live better as you meet Jesus. How will you not live better? You have the resurrected one in your life. But we repent and we are converted to him. And the restoration happens in us. The reformation happens in us as the restoration of the restitution happens on the earth. So what we know is that the resurrection means that God took all into himself at Calvary so that he could create a new man on the earth so that the new man could be what lives inside of us, that we can be a part of that new creation. I am so thrilled to stand in front of you as a fellow believer in a resurrected Jesus because I truly believe that I have died in the old. The old Paul has died in Christ at Calvary and the new Paul has been resurrected in the new man in Christ. And that doesn't mean that there are no mistakes or pains or problems. I interfere. But it does mean that I get to participate in the rich tradition of 2,000 years of the church that firmly believe in the resurrected Christ as the definition of who we are. If we will start to believe this and proclaim this and preach this and start to believe that if Christ is truly the first fruits of a resurrection, then everybody else comes in through that, there's no one that'll walk through our door that we won't think qualifies for setting in the presence of our Jesus. It won't exist. You won't find anybody that you go, eh, I don't know, man, they're gonna have to do this, jump through this hoop, commit to this, commit to that. We don't start by pushing people into the, to the codes and the moralities that we've learned or that we've adopted. We start by accepting the resurrected man as the reality for everyone baseline. Everyone baseline. The starting point is a resurrected man is Christ. Let God do the work in that. If we could get there on the individual level, we might start to have hope for the future of the world and realize That in the end, what God is going to do is restore all things back to himself. So you want to know how this thing ends? You go to the end of the book. And I know what we love to say. And this is just because we won't read Revelation. We only listen to people talk about it. We love to say stuff like, I've read the end of the book. We win. Okay, first of all, you haven't read the end of the book. Or you wouldn't say, I've read the end of the book and we win. Because one of the things that is offensive Yes, I said offensive. One of the things that's offensive to most of us Christians at the end of the book of Revelation is that the gates are open at the New Jerusalem and all the whoremongers and the doubters and the evil and the faithless get to come in and eat from the leaves on the tree of life. And if that ain't offensive, you haven't been listening to most of our gospel in the church. Because we cannot... It's infathomable that the Bible ends with the gates open so that everyone gets to come in and eat that wants to. And that God's final message is not turn or burn. At the end of the book, God's final message is and the spirit and the bride say come. Come you who are thirsty and drink of the rivers of the water of life freely. Freely. Free. So if you've read the end of the book, you're either offended at the freely or you're in awe of a resurrected man who turns to the rest of the earth and says, the water of life is coming out of me. The solution is here. Come and get it. Now, what church do you want to be? Yes, I know what church you want to be. It's why I'm excited to come here. You want to be the church whose doors are open that goes... Hey, come in that's right. freely. It's been given to us freely. We give it to you. Yeah. We show you the resurrected man, not just the crucified man. Cause if he's crucified only, you're still in your sentence, that's right. but he's resurrected. Oh yes. We're going to introduce you to the crucified one because you're going to have to go meet him there. Cause when you go to the crucified one, that's where you lay yourself down. That's where you put your stuff on the altar and that's where you say, I'm not what I need to be and all this stuff in me needs to die. And that's a great admission. But we don't stop you there and we don't take six weeks to get you graduated to a resurrection. We instantly show you the reason why the cross matters is because Jesus doesn't stay in that tomb. And you're welcome to come in today scared and afraid and uninformed. If the women in Mark 16 could be so scared they couldn't roll the stone away. And then when they had it rolled away and they saw that the tomb was empty, they were so afraid, they left and told no one. They're not good evangelists. We would even accuse them of being ashamed of the gospel. How can they possibly be God's people if they're ashamed of the gospel? And yet, there they are in living color on the page because God knows the resurrected man's already on the earth whether you like it or not. The end of Mark 16, the resurrected man's already on the earth, whether we like it or not. I love to say this to people. God loves you and forgives you whether you like it or not. God's going to open the gates to the city and pour a river into your life, whether you like it or not. Christ is the first fruits of all resurrected men, and they all resurrect whether you like it or not. I'm not asking you to figure it all out theologically. I'm asking you to accept the fact that the resurrected man happened, whether you like it or not, maybe even whether you believe it or not, and then let that resurrected man go to work in you and say, "Because he lives." We you sing that song, "Because he lives, I can face tomorrow." "Because he lives, I live also." That's restitution. That's restoration. The times of God's restitution is not God coming back and flattening the earth and then rebuilding it and starting over. You know why we say it won't be with water but fire next time? God's going to renovate the world by fire? You've heard that statement? At Noah, we saw God show the violence of water to flood the earth and start over. God doesn't do that again. Instead, he brings fire, but the fire isn't the fire of man. And it's not burning the earth like a crispy critter so God can recreate it. It's Jesus, the baptizer with fire. The Bible said there is one, John said there's one coming after me who is preferred before me, whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn his chaff with an unquenchable fire. The fire that God is going to use to renovate the world is the fire of Christ, and it renovates your world when you meet Him. Because His furnace goes to work on everything in you that needs to burn up. You walk into that furnace and you hold hands with Jesus. You are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The binding is on your wrist and the binding is on your ankles, and you waddle into the furnace of God. And who do you meet there? Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't we throw three people in the fire? Who's this fourth man? He looks like the son of God. The Bible says, and they were not burned. Not one hair on their body was singed, save for their bindings. And what that means is when we meet Christ, we meet him in the middle of a furnace. And what burns off of us is whatever binds us, whatever has tied us up, whatever has restricted us, and whatever has held us back. And what lasts out of the furnace is the new man on the earth who walks out of the empty tomb, brand new. So when people say to me, you're going to undergo hell for what you're preaching, you're going to undergo some fire. God's going to punish and judge. I go, look, God can bring all the fire he needs to me. I'll take all of it because I'm going to walk into it holding Jesus' hand. And whatever needs burned off this guy is going to be burned off in Christ. And whatever needs burned off in you is going to be burned off in Christ. And when they walk through the door, and you're positive they need some stuff burned off of them, bring them into the furnace and let them meet the Jesus that holds their hand, and they and let them know there's a resurrected man on the earth, and the only way, the only way, to walk out of that furnace is just hold on to the hand of Jesus. That's it. That's the resurrection. That's what we have. How can we not celebrate this? Yeah. We don't just celebrate it once a year, but how could we miss celebrating it once a year? to celebrate the fact that there's a living Christ and he's not way off in the heavens alone, but he's in us doing his work on the earth. We're trusting him for the restitution of all things. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I just want to pray and just let this settle in your spirit. Just do as the Holy Spirit. Respond as the Holy Spirit calls. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you move across this house onto your people. Father, as we have spoken of your death and your resurrection through Jesus, I pray that we have shined a spotlight on Christ that has made him lovely, that is causing the hearts of your people to turn towards you. I pray for someone in this house or watching or listening to this message who is in the darkness. The sun is coming up. May they have that belief and that faith that the sun will rise on whatever it is in their life. Father, we don't understand. I don't don't believe anyone when they tell me they understand the resurrection. We don't understand the resurrection. We receive the resurrection. They didn't even understand it and they're standing in front of an empty tomb. Who am I? I don't understand it. I receive it. I'm a follower of Jesus today, God. Not because you said some good things at the Sermon on the Mount. Not because you healed the sick or walked on the water. I'm a follower of Jesus today because I truly believe you raised the dead. And his name is Jesus. And that faith in him is allowing that resurrected one to go to work in me. And if there's anyone here today who's starting to believe that, maybe for the first time, reach out and hold their hand as they walk through that furnace, because it's a furnace. And Father, whatever, maybe someone's believing that for the thousandth time. I'm believing it for the ten thousandth time today. Hold my hand as I walk through the furnace, trusting you for your life. We receive the resurrection in whatever its form. Whatever that means, we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.